Hi everyone, Alex here. I just wanted to quickly mention this off the top before we begin this newest episode of Razor Roof. We really didn't want to talk about it much, but on Wednesday, Tyler Glass now did successfully undergo Tommy John surgery. He's expected to be out possibly until the 2023 season. We don't necessarily know, but definitely toward at least the end of the 2022 season, if not the 2023 season. It does suck. We're extremely sad about it, and it, unfortunately it is what it is. With that being said, we're going to get into more exciting and positive stuff on the episode. So sit back and enjoy this newest episode of Raise the Roof. It's time to raise the roof for our 74th episode uh welcome back everyone it's been a little bit of time uh but we are here with this latest episode of razor roof right now it is me gabby evan and our special guest who i will introduce in just a second he's a very special guest one that we've uh definitely hyped up for a couple weeks now uh we are going to be talking about the boston and seattle series previewing the baltimore series coming up this weekend um talking a little bit trade deadline because gibby didn't get a chance to talk about it with us uh, when we had Jeff on and some other news uh, in and around the world of baseball, plus obviously um, our interview and or talk that we're going to have uh, quickly. If you guys want to follow what we're doing here at Raise the Roof, our social media channels, Raise the Roof TV, website, Raise the Roof TV.com, Twitch channel, Raise the Roof Twitch, which we're hopefully going to get our MLB The Show thing going on there. Um, and then this podcast, obviously, you guys are already listening to it. So, you know, just continue to follow us, subscribe, share, um, leave us a good review, all that good stuff. So without further ado, let's introduce our very special guest. He has been the voice of the uh, one of the voices of Rays Radio pre and post game host for the last decade. Uh, proud alum of the uh, of of Rutgers University, which I know is kind of a contention point for both me and Evan. But it's OK <laughs> um, because we're all Big Ten members here, except for Gibby. But we'll, we'll give you a pass on that one. Hey, um, go Spartans. Go Spartans. Go, uh, that's oh, yeah. Worse. Gibby does have the Michigan State. Uh, uh, the Michigan State connection to him. But you guys know him. He's uh, a very, very prominent member within the Rays uh, media community, Neil Solons. Neil, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, how you doing? Good. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. So we haven't obviously gotten a chance to talk about the Boston series. I want to talk about that first. After what happened with the Yankee series, losing two out of three, that was very rough. And then the Boston series happens. The Rays end up sweeping the Red Sox, take outright lead, in the AL East. Neil, I want to start with you. What were your thoughts going into the series? And then obviously now, since it's over, how do you feel about it? You know, I, I kind of looked at the big picture and just saw it as, you know, just a whole tough stretch. I mean, you're going into nine games against three playoff contenders near the deadline, not fully healthy. Um, and it's just kind of how you survive. And especially going into that series with the injury to Pete Fairbanks, um, you know, losing another high le leverage reliever to the bullpen and the way that this group came out and was able to beat Boston in the way that they did. Um, obviously, I think there was there's some carryover in the last game against New York and and they played really, really well. And I mean, if you would have told me you're going to win four out of six against the Yankees in Boston, I would have said I'll take it in a heartbeat. And that's the way it ended up. I mean, you know, you went one and two and three and oh, but the bottom line is you you ended up with a good result overall and ended up with a winning homestand, which I thought was really important, especially the way the schedule goes. Uh, Evan and Gibby, how did you guys feel about the series? I know obviously it was it was very exciting to watch and very stressful to watch. I mean, obviously the biggest series up to date. I think we did what we were supposed to do against Boston's pitching finally. Like this is finally the series that 
I've always said that Boston pitching isn't as good as it's been showing. And that might be a cold take considering we're over a hundred games in the season, but like we finally got to him. Like this, the first ser- series we finally scored at least, I think five or f- six runs. No, we scored like eight runs in that homestand before, but consistently scored. I mean, we scored seven, nine, and then three, but I mean, that's very good. Obviously getting first place by a game and a half was awesome. Um, our pitching looked really, really good. Um, game two was kind of iffy, um, but we scored nine runs, so we could overcome that. Forget who pitched that. Was that Yarborough? I think Yarborough pitched that. Yeah. Um, another, not a good sign from him because he has struggled mightily against the Red Sox this year, but um, we won the game, so in the end, it didn't really matter. Uh, other than the Sunday night game was really, that was just kind of like a slugfest in a pitching way. Like, it was a really close game the whole way. Um, we were finally able to win on national television, something we haven't been able to do the whole year, I don't think. And seeing the drop packed was really cool. Seemed loud. I was at a bar, so I couldn't listen to it, but it looked loud. So glad we got the series win or sweep, I guess. But yeah, Gibby, how'd you feel? It was it was great. Uh, I think game two was was a good uh, indication of the of of the whole series. Um, just the way that th- they really got to Ryan Yarbrough. I kind of said that on the last episode that I thought the Red Sox they usually treat Ryan Yarbrough as batting practice. Kind of. I mean, he's like the one team that they that like really gets to Ryan Yarbrough almost every time they start against him. And he it's not like how Yar- Yar- Yarbrough pitch- pitches against the Yankees. He's much better against the Yankees and like other. Teams like that, but not against the Red Sox. So he he does he he does get batted around a little bit, but I think he stabilizes a little in, in his later innings, and then and then the bullpen really comes in and, and then and just pitches a dime, no no runs after Yarbrough's out. So that's always good to see. Matt Whistler, um, really liked him this series. Honestly, the way he closed out, um, the way he closed out Game Three too. I mean, I think everyone's worried when you when you bring just such a you don't you don't really know much about Matt Whistler so I think everyone a lot of people were really worried but I mean he handled it well and he was able to get us um through through the game I mean he had runners on first and third in that in that last uh two out at bat he had there so I mean props to him so that's that's my thoughts you know I was curious how was the atmosphere like at the trot for those for those last two games uh notably I, I thought it was great I mean especially when you I mean the energy level in the building was good. I mean, you know, you're not going to, in the regular season, get something like the ALDS games 2019. Um, mm-hmm. And especially, look, we're still in the midst of a pandemic. And I think especially with how many cases we've got in the state of Florida, I'm sure there are some people, rightfully so, they're a little bit concerned coming, you know, to, to large-scale events right now. And I totally would understand that. But, you know, the, the energy level in the building was probably about as good as it's been for race home games this year, especially the last two games. Um, and, and I think it helped. I mean, you know, you could feel it in the building. Um, it definitely was much different than most of the other regular season series to date. And hopefully that kind of builds in future homestands because obviously every game, you know, I still see it as a four-team race at this point, and and I think that you know there's there are a lot of every game of the fifty plus you know as as we record this fifty what three games left are all really important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so obviously the Rays had that success um, and the series sweep of the Red Sox, and then Seattle came to town, and for some weird reason, some teams have other teams' numbers, and I don't get it. I'm never going to get it, but it's fine. And Seattle comes in, takes two out of three. Uh, I, 
like I, I don't understand it. Doesn't I? I can understand the Rays having struggles in Seattle part because obviously they're traveling three thousand miles across the country. But the other side of it, I did not expect that coming. I, I think they're just a good mashup. I mean, you know, they they're very good defensively. Um, they're really good with runners in scoring position as a group. Even though you look at their you know overall up numbers and they haven't been great, um, they have a lot of left hand hitters, and the Rays have predominantly right hand pitching. Um, and they have, you know, won with a good bullpen and played a lot of close games well. So, I mean, I, I didn't look at it. You know, some people said, oh, there's going to be a letdown. I, I just thought Seattle's a tough matchup. I think they're a young team that's getting better, um, that's, that's going to be really tough in that division for a while. And I think they're a particularly tough matchup with the Rays and the way their staffs are set up right now, especially with some of the injuries they have. They're like, for instance, Colin McHugh, even though he's a righty, his cutter slider curveball combination are really tough on lefties you know there are games where if you have that for a couple innings it could stabilize a game or change the game you know and and you're also in the back stretch of playing nine games in a row sometimes it's not only who you play but when you play them and because the race had to work their bullpen so hard there were probably some guys unavailable in the first day or two days in that series that made it a lot tougher to win those games so I think all of those things kind of contribute um, to the challenge of playing them. I, I think they're a good ball club. I don't know if they'll get a wild card spot. They've got a big series now with the Yankees, but you know, I, I definitely think they're a team that's, you know, moving in the right direction for sure. Uh, yeah, as Neil said, I, I just think they're, they're a great, they're a great team. I mean, they, they played way better defensively than us. We had so many errors at the trap and that was kind of disappointing to see, you know, just, just a team comes to your, your place and just does way better than, than you guys are, than your, your guys are doing. I, I think that we had like way more errors in this series. I think we had like maybe double Seattle, something like that. Um, it, it was just they're just a good team they, they do they did what we used to do to teams you know um as neil said our our bullpen was kind of taxed this this last series so we didn't we, I, I don't think we were at full strength and like as you can tell with our injury status and it's like 15 pitchers on the il um you can tell that i mean we're we're not at full strength but there is strength to come um so it, it was it was good to see um our, our left-handed uh or in the last game sorry um just just uh Zanino gets that last um home run and is able to close out the game so I'm glad I'm glad we at least take one out of the series like 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 I always say if you're gonna win one in the series win the last one so um, I, I thought it was it, it was okay um we finally beat the Mariners I'm just I'm just kind of happy we beat them because I mean I didn't I didn't like Castillo putting us in the dirt for that for that second game um also, also last week, my, uh, my two, my two picks or last episode, my two picks for players for like the series of the week, um, going to the Yankee series, I picked Fairbanks and Castillo and Castillo got traded. Fairbanks got injured. So I'm done picking players. So that, that, that's been, that's been my series. At least we beat them once. That, that's what I'm happy about. Evan, what were your thoughts? Uh, yeah, Seattle's just one of those teams. I mean, it, it just seemed like we could not catch a break against them the first two games. We finally caught a break. I mean, we did get, catch a break in the Tuesday game when uh, I think it was Fraley made an error in left field. Um, but, I, I mean, the amount of balls that we hit really hard either right to someone or like a chopper in the hole, and they just had like an amazing diving play. Like, I don't know who – I forget who their shortstop is, but he had an unbelievable JP play. Crawford. Crawford made an unbelievable yep. play uh, in the Tuesday game where he dove and then flipped it with the glove to second base for the force out. Like it was just those type of plays 
it was it's it's just like that type of opponent opponent that just like i don't know they're they just seem to always do the right thing when they play us it's very frustrating but um very good win yesterday um walker looked horrible on monday i don't i don't i'm not sure what happened there but um I also don't get why Kittrich wasn't used the whole series. Like, I, w- I would like to ask you that, Neil, because yesterday was a very close game and Kittrich was coming off two days of rests or three days. He didn't pitch on Sunday either. Um, th- do you know why he wasn't used the last couple of days? Or Well, I mean, what the Boston, the last Boston game that he pitched in, he threw, what, almost 30 pitches in that inning mm-hmm. and kind of had to battle his way through. And then I generally feel the Rays like to use him on heavy righty lineups. You know, you take a look at how aggressively they use him. When they used Ryan Sheriff in the ninth inning, four of the five guys coming up were left-handed in the the ninth. And I figure, you know what, if you've got – I think Kevin Cash does the best job of any manager in baseball in utilizing his entire roster and not over um, using anyone on the staff. I think Kyle Snyder and and Stan Borowski do a great job with that. And when I started to look at who is coming up, I'm like, well, ideally – Andrew Kittredge is your most experienced reliever, but Ryan Sheriff is probably your, if he's able to go, he's probably your best matchup at that point. And, you know, he had a one, two, three inning. So it was hard for me to argue with the decision at the time. I kind of, when I saw Sheriff warming up and looking, and, and at that time too, if you remember, the Mariners already had used almost their entire bench. All they had was a switch hitting light hitting catcher and Cal Raleigh left. So it's not like they could counter against Ryan Sheriff with a, uh, you know, a power right-hand bat. Um, in that spot you know if if they had let's say the ability to switch then you're deciding well do I want Kittredge on lefties or Sheriff on righties and then it's a much tougher decision Um, you know I think for me usually what Kevin does is kind of logically what you know if you start looking at at who's coming up and who the numbers are he's pretty smart about you utilizing guys properly and to be honest now you're going into you just went into a nine game nine day stretch and then you're going to go play what three against Baltimore off day. And then you got a big series against Boston. You know, I'd rather have kid as fresh as possible because Baltimore is right-handed heavy. Boston is right-handed heavy. Um, you know, even the twins, the team after that, you know, Donaldson Sano, you know, the, the thickness of that lineup is probably a little more right-handed in terms of the power. So um, rather than overuse them in a spot where you don't necessarily, he doesn't necessarily fit, um, you know, and you also got a, another day off for Rasmus going into the, the off day. So I thought it was good to freshen those guys up because you're probably going to get McHugh back real soon. I, I think it could bode well for this next week. It's a good point. Should we expect McHugh to come back for the Baltimore series? Because I know that uh, Cash was talking about uh, they had or he had that bullpen um, a day or two ago that went really well. Well, I mean, he was he was through to, to hitters on on uh, the last day of the series um, and they just stood in. Um, he was supposed to throw in Port Charlotte and Mother Nature didn't want to cooperate. So they they brought it indoors. And, you know, it wasn't quite what you would call live VP because guys were just kind of auto taking against him. Um, but I think he just wanted, you know, some some semblance of hitters standing in the box against him. And then depending on how he feels would determine how quick they would activate him. I mean, do they go after one day off? which would be Friday and activate him or wait till Saturday. I'm not hundred percent sure. Um, but if he feels good, I'd expect at some point during the Baltimore series for him to be active. Kevin said he would travel with the team. That says to me, they plan on activating at some point fairly soon. Mm. And then the other question that I had um, that I wanted to um, kind of talk about this as a group was um, so Gibby touched upon the defense and the defense was, was, was definitely pedestrian and suspect at some points in the series. And particularly Brandon Lau, he's had a lot of struggles, it seems like, at second base this year. I know he has 
He's like, he, I don't think he's leading the league, but he's, he, he's, I believe, second in the league in errors as a second baseman. And I like that's really concerning to me because I've always thought of Lau as a really good defensive second baseman. And is it just like he's just having a bad year and he's just having a bad stretch right now? You know, I look at the whole group. I try not to look too much at errors as much as I look at plays made, plays not made that I think you know, because sometimes, you know, the error is still subject to the discretion of an official score on a particular night, um, you know, unless you have an alarmingly high number or alarmingly, you know, a really small number. Um, I do think as a group, I think the Rays haven't played their trademark defense probably since the All-Star break. And I even go back to the Tyler Glasnow injury. You know, you look at defensive runs saved. And since that point in time, the Rays are a negative number. Um, from June 15th to here, what, on the 5th of August. So that's about a six or seven week stretch. And, you know, I think for the race to get where they need to go as a group, they have to play their, their trademark defense. And um, there have been moments where they've been good, but they haven't been nearly as consistent as they were, in, you, know, you know, for that probably about four week period where they had that great month. Um, and, and it's hard to play. I think it's hard to play that well every day, obviously. But I think the race, especially on the infield, you know, I could argue that, you know, almost at every spot, they haven't played as well defensively for the last six or seven weeks. I think it's probably more so the, the infield than the outfield defense that is, has suffered that kind of fate. And I just hope they get back to it. You know, hopefully the off day kind of freshens them up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Gibby and Evan, what are your thoughts? Yeah, um, you definitely see it around the MLB too. I mean, like for like the best, some of the best players in the league have like the most errors. Like Fernando Tatis is like has twenty. He's tied with Bo Bichette. Bo's and got twenty. Like, I think I think Bo has twenty errors oh, on, the, on the year. So I, did not know that. I think wow. I think it's it's a product of maybe being off baseball. Maybe, maybe I shouldn't. We should stop giving that excuse though. I, I'm not. I'm not sure. I mean, it's a valid excuse. Um, just, just with, just with the break they had to take, you know, and and maybe a lot of guys still aren't adjusted to like how how their defenses are. Also, all these trades, maybe, but you know that doesn't really affect the Rays at all. So I would say physically too, you're going from sixty games to one sixty two, mm-hmm. and yeah. you know right now you're in the one ten area, so you've almost played twice as many games. And I think there are going to be stretches where mentally, physically, you're not going to be as sharp. Um, you know, it, it, it's a big, it's a monstrous change to almost not triple, but close to triple the amount of regular season games you're playing. It's a, it's a big jump. And for some guys, it, you know, I, I think people also forget that Brandon, in his particular case, since you asked about him, he has yet to play a full season in the big leagues. This is his first full season. Um, and, and I do think there are going to be, just like with any young player, they're going to be growing pains. You know, he's 19. He missed almost half the year because of fouling that ball off his leg mm-hmm. um, and missing the second half. And then last year, there was only 60 games. So the, this is the most number of games he's played. He's putting up, you know, monstrous offensive numbers now after after a slower start. But, you know, I think for any young player who's playing their first full season in the big leagues, you're going to have guys go up and down. And, and I think you just have to expect that, anticipate that support the player and know that if they're a good player they're going to come out of it yeah i didn't even i didn't even think about that with the uh with how brandon Lau hasn't even had a full season yet forgot about that it's crazy because i mean he's been in the league for three years but yeah yeah, this is really his first full season evan what are your thoughts about the defensive current status of the Rays right now like i mean i would just honestly chalk it up to youth i mean look how many guys we've pulled up 
in the middle infield and I mean, and Wander obviously at third base, but I mean, in the infield alone, we had Walls, Bruhan, and Wander come up and those are three completely new faces in the infield, like absolutely no chemistry with Brandon and whoever plays first base, G-Man or Yandi, or I guess, yeah, I guess that those are the only two, but um, I, I mean, yeah, they got to make some of these plays. I mean, even Wendell's making bad errors. Like Wendell made that horrible throw on, Tuesday, I think um, that he should that he always he could have made with his eyes closed. Like it's just some of these weird lapses that we're having. It is very not race like, but I don't know. I think I mean I wouldn't be too worried about it because um, usually we're able to make up for it. But um, yeah, I would just honestly blame that on youth, and hopefully that doesn't happen at like a really important part of the season. And I think the other piece of this, like in Joey's case, he played predominantly on the left side of the infield the first half of the season. Then they started moving him around a bit playing some short more, playing some second base more. That that has a different level of strain on your arm to go because the throws are all different. Mm-hmm. And I do think there's some of that. And look, you know, guys who play all the time, unless they're in the injury list, we don't know, you know, that's the only time we know they're injured. Everybody is dealing, when you get through 100 plus games after playing 60 the year before, everybody is dealing with something physical that's going on and it's just how they manage it. And sometimes it manifests itself in mistakes because guys play through things. And, you know, I, I, I don't make excuses for anybody, but the game is hard. And, and especially going from 60 to 100 plus, I'm sure there are probably some guys that are more banged up now than they've been in quite a while. And they're learning how to make an adjustment to that, um, you know, and, and, you know, as you're seeing guys around the league start to go down. Um, you know, especially the, the Rays, I think, have done a much better job of maintaining their roster and giving guys rests every now and then with days off. Uh, but, you know, I think some of that, you know, does lead sometimes to a couple more mistakes in the field, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, I, I want to shift over to talk about the trade deadline for a little bit. Um, Gibby, we obviously didn't get your thoughts. And Neil, we're having you on. Um, I what what were your thoughts about what the Rays did this entire I like? I don't know if I want to say going from, you know, trades like the Adamas trade all the way up to now, because obviously that was in May, but I mean, that can be included too, but what were your, um, I guess, overall thoughts about what the Rays did during the trade deadline? You know, it's funny, amazing how many, like, I think the last day of the Boston series, I got a call from a fan after the game saying how great it was to beat the Red Sox after not doing anything at the trading deadline. (laughs) And I said, hold on. I said, some people forget that the trading deadline includes what happened the week before. I mean, I thought the Nelson Cruz deal was a a really good one for the Rays. And and I thought in a number of ways it was going to help the team going forward. One, I think it solidified the lineup. It gave them a veteran. Going back to the Cliff Floyd days, they hadn't had that, you know, veteran guy who could help the young players. You know, I remember conversations I had with Evan Longoria and BJ Upton and um, them saying how much Cliff Floyd and Eric Hinsky had a great impact on them. And I think similarly, the the opportunity to have Nelson Cruz can have an immeasurable impact for the last two and a half months of the regular season and hopefully a full month of the postseason if it goes that long for this group on Brandon Lau, on Wander Franco, on Randy Rosarena, on Austin Meadows, who's still a young player. Um, and I think he also can be a unifier in the clubhouse. And I think he also takes a lot of pressure off guys. I think, you know, we saw Jimon Choi hit a couple of home runs because I think Nelson's hitting behind him and he gets a little more protection at times. And I think we saw Wander and Randy start to come around a little bit because they got moved down in the lineup and there's less pressure on them. And it's that, it's a lot of little things. Beyond that, I thought the the smaller things they did made a lot of sense. You know, a lot of people, I think outside of, of the Rays sphere, were really confused as to the Diego Castillo deal. Um, and, and I thought, 
you know, on face value, it made a lot of sense. You know, the Rays had used Diego very differently the last six weeks, you know, for fans who didn't notice. They weren't pitching him back-to-back days. When they did, you started to see, a, you know, his velocity drop off a little bit. And even, you know, when they were giving him two or three days off, he still was only averaging 95 and change on his fastball. And I say only because in 19, I think his average fastball, according to fan graphs, was like 98-2, 98-3. You know, I think they got someone back who they think in JT Chagwa, who could be just as good, if not better going forward. They didn't make the trade based on past um, results, they made it on what they think the future is going to bring. And they also brought in a prospect in Austin Fenton, who they like a lot. Um, you know, the the other moves they made, getting Jordan Luplo, I think gives them a lot of insurance for right-handed bat in the outfield, especially, and they're going to try him in other spots. It makes him a little bit deeper. I thought getting DJ Johnson, I remember the doubleheader where he pitched against the Rays and gave up a homer to Brandon Lau, but I also remember the inning in two-thirds he threw and go, and thought, boy, that guy looks like a pretty good arm. Why hasn't he been in the big leagues? And then all of a sudden at the trading deadline, the Rays are acquiring him. And I think they look for guys who can be a certain fit. Um, and obviously, you know, a lot of the opportunities he's getting has to do with some of the injuries they've had. But, you know, he's got a really good arm. They've added, you know, a couple of relief arms, so I think it helped. I don't count him as toward the deadline, but Matt Whistler was acquired a couple of months ago and, and it was an under the radar move, but I think that's really helped. I think they've helped their depth on their, you know, on their, in their bullpen. Um, I think they've done a, a pretty good job on the margins and not giving up too many prospects within the organization, maintaining their best, their best prospects. And obviously I think Nelson Cruz is going to be a great addition to the lineup. So I think they did um, under the circumstances really, really well, I, you know, and, and, you know, I hope that the average race fan understands how much they've done, because to me, getting Nelson Cruz is the biggest trade, you know, they've made since they became the race. I think at the death, specifically at the deadline, they've made a lot of other big trades that have had a bigger impact. But in terms of adding someone at the deadline, you know, you can say, well, the Chris Archer trade was really big because of how it turned out. But in terms of how it can impact this particular season, I think the the Cruz edition is the biggest move that they've made at a deadline. Mm. Gibby, uh, we didn't get your thoughts last time. How did you feel about what the Rays ended up doing at the deadline? Yeah, I feel like uh, how Neil said, um, a lot of people just glanced over the the Nelson Cruz trade for some reason, which is like a big no-no. I mean, that man's Hall of Fame material. To have him on your team and producing for you and just be like that big veteran presence, although not a long-tenured player on your team, just tenured in baseball, knows a lot of things about baseball. To have him on your team is invaluable and i think he he will be like so important in the playoffs like absolutely so you love that deal um i mean i think i think the castillo trade is all right because i like shagawa or i i think that's how you say it yeah yeah um i had i, had and, and I like i like shenton too i i i i have talked to a lot of mariners fans who really liked him so it, i think that was that was a good a good trade for us and and um I think didn't he didn't Castillo like blow a game for them like like right after he got traded? Yeah, not, not that that's like too big to read in because people like blow games all the time. I mean he's he's in the bullpen, but like well, they they used him back to back. Yeah, they the did second of the back to back, and you know when I saw that, um, you know my my first thought was, and I think it's he didn't throw many pitches, but the velo was 92, 93 instead of ninety five. 96. And I think honestly, right now, he's a guy who, for whatever reason, he's, he's uh, as a reliever, he's want to use guys three times in four days, but maybe it's because of the length of last year compared to this year, but he's not bouncing back as well as he did. 
I agree. He was used extremely weird this year. I've mentioned that multiple times on this show. And I was like, because he would, I think it was against, I think it was in Cleveland. We were up eight to two or something. And we didn't, and we used him. Uh, then the next day we, I, mean, I know you can't foresee the future, but like, I don't, I just didn't really understand why we would use him in an A2 game with a, with a game the next day that could have possibly been close. And then it was a close game. We were, we were up 2-1 and then we blew it and we lost. And I was like, what the hell? Like, why do we use Castillo when we could have used him in a closer game where uh-huh. he's more valuable, I feel like. I honestly think that, you know, as, as good as he was in 20 and 19 and even parts of 18, I just think that other guys had moved ahead of him in the pecking order and that their stuff was better. I mean, it's not a knock, but, you know, if they were healthy, Fairbanks, Fireisen, McHugh, Anderson, um, and even Thompson against Kittredge, you know, against the right right-handers, you could argue that the majority of those guys were in front of, of Diego. So if those guys were going to be in front of him and you think that JT is going to be just as good, if not better, to me, the trade made a whole lot of sense because you've got all these right-handers. And I think the difference with some of those guys is I think they're also pretty good on lefties, where I think Diego had become more of a right-handed specialist with like Boston and New York getting more balanced. I think it really was important to find somebody who could get both. And I think JT has been much more neutral than he has been right-handed heavy. And so I think all of that made, made a whole lot of sense. And, you know, I, I didn't see his, I, I, we never saw really the consistent 98 that, you know, you saw last year and the year before, and he never makes any excuses. He's an awesome teammate, takes the ball whenever you want. You know, I saw some reports about Seattle and the Rays refuted these. I would refute these. He is a terrific guy to have around a clubhouse. I just think this was simply about what they thought the future would hold. And the rate, the way they used him this year, I think was also based on who they had and who they liked a little bit more. Yeah, it makes I agree. It definitely yeah, makes so, a lot of sense. Uh, so I, I like I liked, I liked all their moves. So I mean I'm really excited about Luplo. I know that that went like really under the radar, but seeing his splits against lefties made me so happy <laughs> because the Rays continue like the Rays need more guys that can hit lefties because it it's it's been really telling this year against left-handed starters. I think their their batting average is like 40 points lower than it than it is against right-handed starters and having a guy and hopefully Luplo will come up at some point. Um, I don't know how they're going to use him, but I really like, I've really liked that deal, but it's going to go under the radar because of the, you know, the possibility of that Chris Bryant deal and maybe getting Craig Kimbrell and um, looking at possibly getting Barrios and they didn't get anyone there. But I mean, like we all said, the, the cruise deal happened a week before. So, you know, they made a big move, just not at the, Big move time, quote unquote. Is Luplo on the forty man? Yes. Oh yeah, good. So I can move him up. Neil, do you think that Luplo is going to come up and have some sort of an impact on the team? Uh, this year, I don't know. I mean, I think a lot is going to depend on the health of the overall group. You know, I I think if you look at the current roster, I think there are a lot of guys capable of hitting left-handed pitching. I mean, Mike Zanino has, Nelson Cruz has, Yandy Diaz in his history, Manuel Margot and Randy Rosarena did. They have hit okay this year but they haven't hit let's say the same ops that you would expect and obviously the left-handed bats have taken a step back too i mean obviously last year brandon Lau was what like a thousand ops against lefties um he austin meadows joey wendell Jimon Choi, they've all taken major steps back so i think a lot of it will depend on health i definitely think that the guys that they have in the group right now 
are, are certainly capable of producing against lefties. You know, I think the question is if, you know, and he's played what, I think just a couple of games so far for Durham, he just joined the team. So I think the important thing is to let him just get his feet wet and, you know, hopefully um, it'll lead to good results. And if, you know, they you do go to a 28 man roster in uh, September. So if there are no injuries, I, I wouldn't be shocked if the Rays used him in that manner too. Makes a lot of sense. So we have uh, some questions that our followers of Raise the Roof wanted to ask you. The first thing that I wanted or that um, I have here that uh, I thought was a really good question to start off with is how did you start working for the Rays? How did that opportunity present itself to you? And then how did you end up getting involved in the organization? So obviously I was fairly lucky. I mean, I spent you know, a dozen years broadcasting minor league baseball games, um, starting with um, an affiliated ball, starting with Quad City out in uh, Davenport, Iowa, and then Lakewood, New Jersey. And then I was with the Durham Bulls for my last um, eight seasons. So obviously they being a race affiliate, we're able to create some relationships and connections. You know, Andy Freed and Dave Wills are like, you know, brothers. And um, during those seasons, I used to go when the race seat, when the bull season was over, because it would end in sometime in September, I'd go visit them for a game at Tropicana Field. Or I think in the 08 season, when they went to the World Series, it was such a zoo, you know, in terms of the interest, the, the involvement, that I think I met them in Baltimore and uh, saw them at Camden Yards because it was about a four to five hour drive from Durham. And rather than, you know, uh, go to Tropicana Field, I, I went that route. But I had stayed in touch and they had me do fill in on pre and post game in 2010 and 2011. Rich Herrera, who was there at the time, I think got an opportunity to do some stuff with, you know, Sirius XM and, and some other things that he was working on. And uh, I created a, an avenue and I was, you know, lucky enough to get the chance. And obviously I always joke that I haven't been, you know, I, I haven't screwed it up yet. So I'm still in the chair and still doing this, you know, uh, as I've done. And um, you know, good to work for, you know, a really good company and, and, and you know, people who um, have given me the chance to do this. And I'm certainly really appreciative, you know, for the opportunity to do so many different things with the Rays on so many different levels. Yeah, it's definitely awesome hearing you, um, your post games on, on 620 while I'm driving. But you have on the AM dial instead of the FM dial? Yeah, I, I don't know why. I just, I, just, I just have it on the AM dial for some reason. Dude, the FM dial... You can, but I mean, the FM dial is so much clearer. <laughs> I guess so. I think I think I have I I have it set up weird. I don't know. You're it, fine. It's, weird. it's a weird. Hey, you can hear it on both, so you know it ends up working out. The uh, the next five three on the other one, right? Yeah. The uh, next question is comes from at Rays writer. Uh, how likely is it that Cruz will resign with the Rays this off season? I don't know. Um, you know, obviously, a lot is going to depend how the next two and a half months go, and also what the Rays roster looks like going into next year. You know, I, I try to enjoy the moment and just enjoy the group that we have and worry about next season, next season. You know, I, I think when the Rays, I, I, I mean, I did start thinking ahead. I think it was last year when the Rays had all the injuries, when they lost Yanni Chirinos and McKay and O'Shea and Beeks, all the Tommy John were shoulder injuries. And then I thought Andrew Kittredge was going to need it too. Um, and I started thinking, boy, it's going to be hard to get through 162 game season without making some changes on the pitching staff. Lo and behold, obviously the Rays did a lot of those, you know, because I thought they would need a lot of innings, but I don't know. I think, you know, a lot depends how they make up the roster because obviously Nelson is a DH only. And, you know, that means that 
you're going to have to make some changes with your overall makeup of your roster to be able to do that for 162 games without allowing young kids to grow because the Rays don't like to block the path of a young player. I would assume at some point Josh Lowe's going to be ready to play the outfield for the Rays or Vidal Bruhan playing the outfield and the infield for the Rays on a regular basis. So all of that kind of, kind of comes into play. So it's a long way of saying I don't know. Um, and I'll let it play out. But in the meantime, I'm going to enjoy having him on the group because I think he's awesome to deal with. In fact, he's my featured guest on our This Week in Race Baseball show this coming Sunday, um, which obviously is also a podcast that we release after the fact. So um, I enjoy talking to him. I think anyone who's around him has enjoyed talking to him. And I'm just glad to say he's a Ray for 2021. I was, I was so, so there's a question from the audience. Um, what, are the, what are the Ray's plans for Taylor Walls? Because I, I, I had this question too. I think he's a big part of the future. I mean, I, I don't, you know, when he was never on like the top prospect lists, and I always find that those prospect lists, a lot of them have more to do with, you know, where you were drafted and how much bonus money you were given and things of that nature. Because I started hearing about Taylor Walls two years ago and how much the race liked him, how much they saw him as an everyday player, whether it was at a, as a shortstop or a guy who played second, short, and third, moved around like a Joey Wendell. You know, I think he's a really important piece of the future going forward because of how good he is defensively. And even though he didn't hit in a small sample size at the big league level at a, you know, tremendous rate, you know, I tend to believe that he is. And, and I think the versatility that he brings as a switch hitter, um, the way he plays the game, I think he gives you really good quality at bats that probably don't, you know, you know, don't show how good his at-bats were because you look at the, the straight numbers and you don't see that. But I think he lengthens the lineup. I, I I would be surprised if he's not part of the next, you know, the this wave for the race for 20. You know, I wouldn't be shocked to see him back here. I also wouldn't be shocked to, this year, and I also wouldn't be shocked to see him as a big part of the future of the next several. So one that I have, I don't, I, Evan, I don't know who sent this in. You, you could probably figure it out. But since you've been involved with the race for both the Andrew Friedman and Eric Neander regimes. What do you think has been the biggest change in how the race front office operates from when Friedman was in charge to now Neander in charge? Well, you know, I think it depends when we're talking because Andrew was here for a long, for a good stretch. I mm -hmm. mean, what was it, a decade, you know, you're talking about? Um, you know, I think probably the biggest challenge that, you know, when Matt Silverman kind of took over and then the reins were handed over to Eric is that, you know, in 2015, when all of the turnover happened, the farm system was nearly not in the shape that it is in today. And it wasn't in the shape that it was in 08 and 09 and, uh, you know, five, six, seven, when you had built up the best farm system. And what I thought was most impressive is about the overall group is how they built, rebuilt the farm system on the fly without tanking. You know, you take a look at some of the franchises right now, you know, that are losing a hundred or, uh, or more games several years in a row, and they're not close to competing and they're still don't have the number one farm system like the race have had or a top tier farm system. And, you know, to me, that's what's most impressive. I think, you know, probably since the end of Andrew, I thought the, the staff was continuing to grow overall from the time Andrew started to the time he, he left. I think, I think the race have continued to invest in staff and probably grown their minor league staffs a little bit more since that point. They've probably invested in other areas just because the game has changed, you know, maybe on the sports performance science side, maybe on the analytical side, maybe on the pro scouting and player development side. But I think those were probably tenets that Andrew had in place you know, and I think the, the Rays have just done a very good job evolving with the game. I think that, you know, both of both Eric and Andrew, I think are really good people, you know, 
they, they're great people as much as they are great leaders of a group. And I don't think they're extremely different. They both know how to laugh at themselves um, and have a good sense of humor. You know, I, I just think they're two really good individuals. I don't, to answer your original question, I don't think a ton has changed dramatically. I think, I think just Eric has changed with the way the game has changed and tried to keep the race ahead of the curve. But I thought Andrew was doing some of the same things. I mean, you know, when Andrew was here at the end of his tenure, I mean, the race had developed, you know, there, there was a point, I think, where they had like a high velocity camp where they tried to help guys increase their velocity. And there was a, for guys who, you know, they had even had a knuckleball you know, group at some point where they brought, that's when they brought Charlie Hager in for a couple of years and tried that out. I, I think, I think the great thing that Andrew, and it probably comes from Stu really from the top down is don't be afraid to fail, you know, keep the foundation of your house in place, but don't be afraid to try new things that as long as they don't take the foundation down. And, and I think that that basic philosophy has always been there. And I think they're never afraid to fail. They're never afraid to make a trade if they think it's going to help long, short and long term. Um, and I think that's what makes the, the organization as good as it is for so many years. So Marvin Oliva or Oliva's. Oh, by the way, that last question was from Luke Williamson. Okay. <laughs> Marvin Oliva or Oliva. Sorry if I'm mispronouncing that, but um, her, his, his question was um, what freight raised front office transaction re resulted in you saying like, what the hell? Like what, why did they do that? That didn't make any sense. I rarely, well, usually if I say that I'm probably wrong. On the back end, um, I, I would say 99 times out of 100. I still remember, and this goes way back, when the Rays acquired Yanel Escobar, I probably was, I probably wasn't quite sure that that was going to work out. And really, you know, being there was a team, reason that team what ended up in the playoffs that year. Now they extended him and some of those deals didn't quite work out thereafter. But, you know, that's in, in the last eight years, it's hard for me to find one that I went, oh, why they do that? You know, because usually when they did, I was 100% wrong. And there were probably a couple that they don't come to mind immediately. I, I, I say probably the reverse. I couldn't believe they were able to make the trade they did when, when they made the move involving Chris Archer. Because I knew about, I mean, I think I remember chatting with someone who knew, who faced Tyler and said, that's the best arm I think I've ever faced. I said, in the minors? He goes, no, the best arm I've ever faced. And, and, and somebody, you know, else said, Jake's coming. They got him too. And uh, Austin's coming. They got him too. And, and, and then I was before I heard they got Shane Foss and I'm like, wait, you got a first round pick also like that, who's got a great arm. I'm like, wow. I, I, you know, but there have been trades that haven't worked. Um, and I think that's important to know too, because there, there's that general perception that, you know, I think the game is human and guys don't make, you know, they, the Rays never make a mistake. And if they're calling on your player, you should hang up the phone. I hear that, that silliness all the time. And I, I think some of it is trades are going to work for everybody. Like the Willie Adamas trade was going to happen in part because, you know, there was going to be a path for Taylor Walls and Wander Franco at some point, you know, and, and they got two arms in, in Rasmus and JP Fireisen that I think are going to help them long-term, uh, you know, but it's also a trade that's worked out for Milwaukee. You know, the Corey Dickerson deal, you know, he had some pretty good moments, but Herman Marquez was in that deal. And obviously he's been a really good arm for the Rockies. Their overall group hasn't done well, but he obviously has done well. And everyone made a deal about trading Tommy Pham, but the real, the most productive piece of that trade so far has been Jay Cronenworth. So, you know, I think it is important to note there are, there may not have been trades that I went, oh, why are you doing that? Because I know that 
Eric and that whole group are way smarter than me. Um, and they've shown that a million times over. But I, I would say that they're not perfect. They're just right more often than most front offices are because I think they understand two things. They, they are able to separate, you know, they were able to really do a great job looking forward at, at how a trade will play for them and how it fits in their overall system. And I do think they have a great understanding of player character. You know, I, I think the last eight years, I think they've done a great job of finding not only good players, but good people. And having a knowing what fits in their culture, I think is really, really important. I think any good business establishes a culture and sticks with it. And I think Eric and, and Carlos now and Peter and the whole group down, they do an awesome job of, of staying with their culture. And I think that's why they're successful. You're trying to find the, uh, the user, Gibby? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I was just looking for the question. All right, so sports are... Hurt, Hurt Lizzie asks on Twitter. Um, I love that he can do Spanish. Uh, I love that he can do interviews with Spanish-speaking players. When and how did he learn Spanish? <laughs> well, I appreciate the question. I, I don't know that I do Spanish interviews well. Um, I still need um, a translator. So, I mean, that's been a long quest. I mean, the game is more international now than ever. And I do really think it's important that you make, you help players feel comfortable with you because I think it leads to better content. And, and in essence, that's what I'm providing is I'm providing content for fans. So, and I think probably last year, I, I was at the, um, not last, I guess a year and a half ago almost, or more than that now, I did the, um, the qualifier in Korea for um, the Olympics and going there and knowing zero Korean, I, I understood in some ways what it's like to come over and be a Spanish speaking player and know absolutely nothing. Um, you know, it, it, I, I understood how scared you may be, how you may be somewhat protective, how you're not quite sure, okay, do they, do they really understand everything? Or they, you know, how, what are they saying? And, and I think it's important to, to do everything you can to, to provide help because I, I think also learning Spanish shows me how difficult it is to learn it. Um, I've been doing for, let's say, close to daily for the last two years. And I still have a long, long way to go before I feel comfortable. I feel comfortable enough asking questions in Spanish. I feel comfortable enough getting the gist of what someone says. I still need a translator with me because there are things in there that are set at a pace and a speed with which I really don't understand everything. And I don't want to ever take anything out of context, but at least I think it helps hopefully shine a light on, on a player and, and create comfort with them and vice versa. And hopefully that creates a long-term relationship. So um, I, I think I did it out of the want to make all players feel as comfortable with me. And I think it's, it's really important to do that. And it creates, and, and I think when I really started doing it was when our, the race program in Latin America had really started to blossom some really good players. You know, you saw Diego come up and Jose Alvarado and Yanni Chirinos, and then you see the next wave and you see Fidel Brujan and Wander Franco and, and on and on. And you're like, well, if the team is going to have that many Spanish-speaking native players, I need to do a better job, you know? And, and I think that's kind of how I looked at it. You know, people don't realize Andy Freed spends just as much time on his Spanish. He hasn't done interviews in Spanish, but Andy works on his Spanish daily too. Um, so sometimes we'll chat with our Spanish-speaking broadcasters, Ricardo and Enrique. Um, I think sometimes that helps too, because they're understanding and know, you know, that we're making an effort. And, and Manny Navarro, who regularly translates for the players is, is good at chatting and you know hopefully we get to a point 
um, with, um, you know, before, before the pandemic, I used to spend time in the clubhouse and I would talk with five or 10 minutes every day with, um, sometimes I'd walk over to Willie and ask him questions in Spanish and he would correct me. So I, so I could learn how to make a mistake. He understood because he did such a great job, you know, learning, learning the English language that I might say something to him, Hey, you could have said this a little bit differently. Here's why. And he would help me with, with, and, and hopefully when we get back to a, hopefully someday we get to that point so I can have those private off the cuff conversations with someone and they can help me and I can help them. Yeah, definitely. Amazing. Uh, well, the last question, I think we saved the one that I'm sure that you were expecting us to ask at some point, uh, which is the situation, uh, the stadium situation, everything, you know, split city plan, Montreal, all that kind of stuff. What's the latest on it from what you understand and what do you think is going to happen? It's, it's probably going to sound somewhat like a cop-out, but I mean, I don't worry much about it because I trust the people upstairs are going to do what they can to make it work. I think what they did after everything was explained to me made a whole lot of sense um, that, you know, to try and, you know, the Rays are in a, a division where four teams fighting against it all have their own owned, in essence, owned TV networks. The Yankees still have a good portion of Yes, the Red Sox have Nesson, the Orioles have Masson, the Blue Jays have Rogers, and that basically is like the entire country. So their revenue streams are much different than the Rays. And to compete with that in a, in a sport where you don't have a cap and revenue isn't shared across the board, you have to do things creatively. And, you know, to me, the sister city idea made some sense in that it, you know, gives you a chance to have TV revenue from two countries and two markets and creates a whole lot of other synergies. You know, I, I want to see if, if, that, if that is the best chance to make race baseball work for the next 50 years, 100 years, then I want it to work. Um, but I'll let smarter people than me kind of figure all of it out and, and what, you know, all of the different aspects of it. You know, I, I pay little, little attention to it on a day-by-day basis because I have a hard enough time figuring out the baseball aspect of it and keeping up with trades, transactions, minor leagues, major leagues, all of the um, other teams and what they're doing, you know, and, and doing the best job I can with that. And, you know, in the meantime, I think the, the business people on the race side, you know, are going to do um, all their work and I'll, and when they when they are at a point where we're, you know, something happens, awesome. And in the meantime, I think the good is that the focus right now is on the team on the field, you know, and, and, and the team on the field is doing really, really well and has a chance to go to the playoffs for the third straight year. And that's never been done. Like as good as the 08 stretch till now has been, they went to the playoffs in 08, 10, 11, 13, you know, 19 and 20. They've not been there three years in a row. And to me, they, it would continue this upswing and this long stretch of successful baseball. And I'm, I'm excited about what the future brings from that regard. And I'll let the other smart people, there's smart people on both sides, baseball side and the business side. And I'll try and do my best to tell the stories on the, the baseball side. And when we get to the business side and get this all resolved, I'll be thrilled. But I don't let it consume me. I enjoy the guys on the team and the players and the coaches and everyone involved in the front office. And I think they do an awesome job. And I'll enjoy telling their story as, you know, as long as they let me. That's awesome. I didn't think that was a cop-out answer at all. I think that yeah. was a good answer. <laughs> it awesome. definitely was. All right. Well, I you think you guys I'm... don't have your own questions for me. 
you asked your fan questions. There's nothing you guys wanted to ask about the race. Well, I was I was gonna ask. I mean, you kind of covered it with the trade deadline talk, but I wanted to get like your actual emotions to the trade deadline. Like, were you disappointed in that we didn't get Bryant or Gibson or someone like that? Or like, what what did I you did, think? I didn't. Other than Max Scherzer, I mean, yeah. I mean, I, and 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 once I saw what the Dodgers had to give. And they had, you know, all these, I, I'm like, oh, and they got Trey Turner too. I'm like, well, that stinks for all the other 29 clubs, but I, I wasn't, and I wasn't holding my hopes up because he was, you know, everyone said at one point he wanted to go to the NL West. So mm-hmm. I kind of, you know, whatever happened at the deadline, I figured they're going to do something that helps the race team going forward. And I'm like, you know, I, I, I kind of figured the Rays already made a big splash. They got Nelson Cruz, and I don't care whether it happens a week before the deadline or the day of the deadline. A good deal is a good deal, and I thought you know it, it made a lot of sense. So I wasn't I wasn't upset or concerned um, in the slightest. You know, I think I was happy with what they did, and and thought okay, I still think this team has a really good chance if healthy to or healthier to win the division, um, and hopefully they can get to that finish line and and. You know, I think they've added a really important piece and I think the group believes in itself. So to answer your, your question, Evan, I, I thought, I thought I was not upset. I was not emotional. The only thing I, I, I don't like, and, and this is more a major league baseball thing. I would love to see less of the, and I know it's used to help teams get more capital, but I prefer the teams not say, well, in the Yankees case, you're going to give us a we're going to pick up the entire salary for X players. So you don't go over the luxury tax. You know, I think they should cap it at, with no exceptions at like picking up a certain amount of percentage of somebody's salary for the rest of the year. If you want that player, then, then you take on that, that salary. Yeah. You know, I I'd like to see less of that because I, I think, you know, kind of, to me, it doesn't work. I'd also like to see at some point them allow teams to trade draft picks because this way that may modify the way trades are made and allow teams to, let's say, trade for additional draft picks. It might allow a rebuild to occur a lot faster if you have, you know, three extra picks in the next draft and, and players that, you know, you're giving up can provide that extra, you know, talent, allow you to accumulate more talent. I like that too. And my second trade related trade deadline related question is on our last podcast we had a huge um debate over the rich hill trade specifically and that i was okay with it at the time but after not seeing us get another starting pitcher i was kind of like all right why the hell did we do that i wanted to get your reaction to that rich hill trade totally made sense um and here's why so i think a it was create a path for luis patino and if and if Luis Patino was in the rotation, I think that they didn't know whether Rich Hill, and, and it, he did a great job in May. He was incredibly valuable to this group, um, having a veteran player in. But I also thought that there was going to come a point where, well, what do you do with him? Like he's now at, you know, he was at 90 some innings. He hadn't even gone over. He was on a pace to get through the most innings he'd thrown in 14 years. He was having trouble. If you start to look at his numbers after the second or third inning, you start to see the stuff deteriorate. The fastball velo was down. The breaking ball was down. And this is, I don't think this is much due to the whole, you know, changes on, on, you know, what pitchers can use as much as it was. He hadn't been to this point. I, and I think they did, you know, I, I, I don't think that if they wanted to use them, let's say every three or four days, like in a Colin McHugh role, that it necessarily might've worked as effectively as let's say a Colin McHugh. And I think they valued some of the relievers that they had more than him. So rather than do something like 
designated for assignment or doing something of that nature, which I think they didn't want to do. You know, they showed tremendous class and, and found him a landing spot. And to me, the fact that they had to take on almost the entire salary back of Tommy Hunter to balance it out shows it wasn't a money deal um, and shows there also probably was not a tremendous amount of interest on the open market um, for him because otherwise you would have seen someone. I always say the Rays are always going to make the trade that is the best offer. So if if the difference is only $100,000 and a, and a minor league, you know, versatile catcher, you know, utility type player, then they made the best deal that was out there. And I kind of thought he was going to be for the last two months of the season, he might've been like a square peg in a round hole where he just wouldn't have fit. And I think even though I know he had a tough start against Seattle and he was really good against New York, I think the Rays thought that Michael Walker was probably going to be better than them. You know, we're predicting going forward, not what he's done the first four months, but I think they thought that Michael Walker was going to be better than Rich Hill over the last two months. And that may turn out to be correct. It may turn out to be wrong, but I think basically they looked at that. They looked at, you know, Chris Archer hopefully coming back at some point and helping them on a, you know, for four or five innings as a shot, similar to what Rich Hill is doing now, whether, you know, it means Michael Waka being in relief or Archer being in relief. I think they looked at that and compared them and thought, you know what, this is best. And I also thought you look at the teams they're facing, they have games against Baltimore and Boston and New York and Toronto still. And you look at most of the lineups, they're right-handed heavy. I'd rather have more right-handed pitchers on my staff going forward than the lefties, the Seattle series aside. And I thought they already have, Yarbrough, Fleming, and, and McClanahan in their rotation. How many lefties can you have in a rotation against that righty-heavy of group? I, you know, I, I just added it all up, looked big picture, and said, eh, makes sense. I, I, you know, I get it. I got, I, one, I got one last question. Sure. Um, I want to know your AO playoff teams, like your division winners and then your, your wild cards. Well, I'll probably do this more with my heart than with my head. <laughs> I mean, the White, the, yeah, the White yeah. Sox. I like that. I think the White Sox are going to win the Central. I think Houston's going to win the West. And then it comes down to, will it be the division winner and two wild cards from the East, or is Oakland going to hold on? And I haven't really looked in depth at the schedules to say and break that down. But if I were a betting person, and I'm not, if I were guessing, I think that both wild cards are going to come from the East. I do. I, I say that with no disrespect to Oakland because they're a really scrappy, tough club. But I just think this division is the best division. I hope it's the race standing at the end of it. I think that Boston will find a way to hold on to a playoff spot. But And I lean a little bit more toward Toronto, even though they're in fourth right now than New York. I think, you know, I think that to me, their lineup is more dangerous than New York's. And the fact that with, and who knows how long they'll be out, but not having Cole and Montgomery due to COVID right now, I think impacts the Yankees a little bit for another 10 day period. And every 10 days has an impact. So if I were guessing, I hope it's Rays in the East, Red Sox, Jays in the wild card, and let those teams fight it out. And then, you know, I think injuries and COVID are going to go a long way toward determining who wins in either league. Um, because obviously with the, the Delta variant, we have no idea how that's going to impact clubs going forward. And at any time, all of a sudden, you know, people say, oh, look at how they're lining up their starting rotation. I'm like, tomorrow, your top starter could go out for the whole, for 10 days or two weeks, right before the playoff starts. And that's your whole season. I mean, it could be, you know, you got to overcome that. So I think there's going to be a lot to overcome. I think it's going to make for probably, I thought last year's playoff was interesting. This is going to even be more interesting just because mm -hmm. of all those, those potential avenues and, and twists and turns along the way. 
I, I definitely feel that too. I have, I think I have two. So, so the first one is who's been the player that you've most enjoyed uh, covering over your tenure so far with the race. Ooh, I almost have to go from Oh, like I started with Durham in Oh four. So I've got so many guys that range from 2004 to 21 and I'm probably going to miss somebody. I mean, at the beginning, I'll tell you, Johnny Gomes was probably one of the best guys to just deal with. And it was so down to earth and, you know, I, I can go like J.P. Howell was, you know, a favorite. Um, Alex Cobb, um, you know, I'd love dealing with him. He was hardly a Ray, but Darnell McDonald was one of the real awesome guys in, in baseball to deal with. And, you know, I thought Kevin was wonderful, not only as a manager, but easy to deal with as a player. And, you know, in 05 and 06, when I was in Durham and, um, you know, you start fast forwarding and I love chatting with Sean Rodriguez. I thought he was super to deal with. I thought that um, um, obviously I mentioned Alex Cobb, you know, I had a, a good, a really good rapport with Blake Snell and Willie Adamas. And I mean, it's a long list. Um, it's hard for me to find a favorite. I think there were probably some guys who were better, who were great interviews. I always thought that Alex Cobb was probably the most forthright and honest of any answer that I could possibly get. Um, but I really love chatting with all of them because I think they all gave a different perspective. And I just love hearing the different stories. But so I named what I have like eight guys at least tied for first place. And I'm probably going to have someone who's going to text me or tweet at me that I left them off the list. So I'm apologizing way in advance because there's probably, um, I mean, when you deal with as many players over the years as I've dealt with in the race organization, I think the good thing is I can count on one hand, the bad guys, and I don't have enough hands for the good guys hands, fingers, toes, extremity, anything like bones in my body to cover the number of really good people. So um, the good is there are a lot of good guys to interview and it makes the job a whole lot more fun and a lot easier. Mm -hmm. so, answer. And then the last thing that I have is I want to, I want to debunk all this crap that people are talking about Tropicana field, because I mean, obviously you've, You've been working in the TROP uh, 81 home games a year for the last decade. Uh, and I'm sure that you had countless other experiences after um, or when you were in Durham coming up, like like you talked about earlier, coming up to the TROP. Why, like, I don't, I mean, I understand why it gets a bad rap, but like, it, I don't think it rightfully deserves it at all. What do you think really makes the TROP stand out? As a, as a place that people should go to watch baseball games? First of all, you don't have to worry about rain delays. I mean, yeah. you know, like for all the talk about, you know, other challenges of going to other ballparks, I know we're going to start at 7:10, And I know that we're 99.9% .9 of the time, we're going to be able to play through um, unless there's some really weird wild storm outside that affects the lights inside but that's an extreme rarity so and it's always 72 degrees and when you're playing in the state of florida in july and august i will take that in a heartbeat i mean i i and i think probably for me being in it i think the stadium plays better in front of you than it does on television i for some reason to me i think it looks better inside i think the race have done a great job of making the best of the ballpark, so to speak, and trying to make it more open from the walkway they did to all the other improvements that they've done over the years. And, you know, 
the, the visiting fans, the Red Sox and Yankee fans will always talk about the catwalk or how this impacts the play or that impacts play. And I would argue that the short porch in right field in New York and the, you know, the, the green monster in Boston and the short pesky pole in right have much more of an impact on the way the game is played there than, you know, playing the game indoors on turf and and how the game plays so i think you know the thing i like is that the ballpark is fairly true you have fairly few you know a relative small number of home runs that what i would call cheapies um you know we joke on the broadcast for those who listen you know the home runs in new york that end up in the first row in the right field seats we call them andy land because andy freed gets so angry when a ball ends up in those seats because it's not i mean if you've been to new york it's it's not whatever the measurement says it is there's no way it's that distance i mean we call it williamsport east for a reason you know it's it's not a big league home run there and there are a lot of times where we get a research tool where we can check how many places that would have been a home run and it happens a fair few times where it's one out of 30 parks um, for home runs there. That doesn't happen very often in this yard. And, you know, I do think that playing on turf is, is challenging for the athletes, but I do think that it does lead to the race probably getting a group that's more athletic than most because you have to and using all their players more than most. And to me, it truly becomes a team game when you play a Tropicana field over the years. So, you know, for me, all those reasons make it, and it's my home ballpark every day. So I'm always going to have a bias toward it, but I think it gets, I, I agree with you, Alex. I think it does get a bad rap. I think it's unfortunate. I think most of it is the national narrative more than it is the local. I think if you're a, a local fan and you've gone to that ballpark several times, especially within the last, couldn't go last year, but let's say in the last three years where you came for the, the playoff games against Houston, um, I think you probably would be singing a different tune about it. And, um, you know, it's, is it in the best location in Tampa Bay? I think, you can, you know, certainly those discussions have gone on for many, many years, but I think the ballpark itself is well located in terms of being right off a highway. And I think in, once you're inside the park, um, it's a pretty good place to enjoy and, and enjoy a, an adult beverage, watch a ball game and root for your favorite team. I like that. That's all you can ask. And also, I'll just like to say to those people who give the give the trop such a bad rep, you know, it's not it's not the it's not the Oakland Coliseum. So I don't want to take shots. I always yeah, say I'm not, not, I'm not gonna, I know you're not going to take the shots. If you're not in a glass, for if you're not in a glass house, don't throw yeah, stones. I know. That's what I was I know, always I know. told. I know. I, I have How's one okay? one more question for you, okay. Neil. It's kind of a more personal question. So I'm a Rays fan because I grew up in Raleigh and I grew up going to Durham Bulls games, probably actually most definitely when you were calling them when I was around four, like five or six. So around like 20, 2005, 2006, that kind of time frame. How was your time in Durham? Like, did you enjoy living there? Oh, or? it was awesome. I mean, if it wasn't for the chance to work in Major League Baseball, you know, I probably would have been there for a much longer time. I mean, both, I was, you know, I was uh, already engaged when I moved down there. I got married, both my kids were born in, in Raleigh, Durham as well. I mean, I love the area. It's a great place for food. It's a great place for young people. It's a great place for so many things. And the organization itself that runs the Bulls organization is awesome. Capital Broadcasting is a terrific, terrific company to work for on so many different levels. Um, they really are very similar to the race. They're an employee first organization. So, you know, I, I, I love Raleigh Durham. I wish I had a chance to go back more. Um, obviously, you know, in the season that I'm in, I don't, I don't, I'm usually, you know, especially with spring training beginning in February, I can't say I take a whole lot of vacation time out of the outside of 
the state of Florida, but um, it's an awesome, awesome place. And I will say, if you're ever in Raleigh-Durham, because um, people always ask me, so where do you, where's a good meal? Um, Dame's Chicken and Waffles, which is not too far from the ballpark. I don't know if you've been there, Evan. I have not. It should be on the top of anyone's list who makes a trip out there. So um, for people who do, I'm not, I don't do that because I know anyone there. I discovered that place late in my eight year tenure and I'm sad I did. Sounds incredible. God, Durham I wish I was on there every day. The DFAP is also a beautiful ballpark. So yeah, it's, yeah. And Durham is, is, it's, I think it's the best minor league park. I mean, I, I mean, I really loved calling games. The atmosphere was always awesome. You know, the, the, the employee, the employees were great. And, and I thought it was a terrific atmosphere for guys to polish their skills and take that last step before they got to the big leagues. Definitely. I'm very jealous that I haven't gotten to go to a game there. I need to get to a game there soon. There should be a major league team there, but whatever. (laughs) Stop it. (laughs) Stop it. Amen. We we just keep keep the Rays where they are for right now. We don't. We, we no, don't, not the Rays. Oh, oh just like a team a, in general. A, there should be an expansion team there. Okay. But yeah. Who knows? All right. Well, I think with all that being said, Neil, thank you so much for taking the time to come on and talk with us, uh, answer some questions from both our listeners and followers, and also um, ourselves. Uh, I wanted to make sure that I gave you time to plug uh, not only the podcasts or the podcast multiple, because obviously you have the one with Pete Fairbanks and the This Week in Race Baseball one, uh, and then everything that you're doing on social media. So uh, where can people find the podcast and where can people find you? So, yeah, so all year round, I do a a podcast for the Rays. Um, It's basically This Week in Race Baseball. We do the show every Sunday, 90 minutes before first pitch, and then um, it airs as a podcast the next day. You can basically find it wherever your podcast is found. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, you name it, or at racebaseball.com slash podcast. And then once the season's over, we do a number of them throughout the off season, sometimes weekly, sometimes twice a week, sometimes once every two weeks really depends based on what news is going on with the organization. Uh, during the postseason, it was probably more than once a week. Um, but, you know, we, we kind of switch it up based on how things are going and what we think is newsworthy. And then this year we did start, and thank you for mentioning that, the Horse and Around podcast. Pete's kind of the driver and I kind of sit in the back seat and sometimes, you know, just play backseat driver and sneak around. It's a great way, we thought, to show the personality of a player and give them their own spotlight. And, you know, I think Pete's like one of the really good personalities and I should have included him at the top of guys because he's the first guy I've done a podcast with. So this kind of gets me out of that of getting in trouble with him. Um, <laughs> not that he's listening to this right now, but you know, he's, he's, I think he's really entertaining and has a chance to, to do this post baseball if he likes. Um, you know, I think he's really clever. And then if people, um, Want to follow me on social media? At, on Twitter is probably the best place, at Neil Solons. And if they can spell out Neil Solons, more power to you. Um, my family still has trouble with it. So um, I, I have other accounts. I do have a Facebook fan page that I do keep. And I do have Instagram, but I would say more of it is pictures of my kids. Then, so it's more personal than it is professional. I don't have, have like a, a race Instagram page. So I would say if they're looking for race content, then Twitter is the place to go to. All right. Well, Neil, thank you so much for coming on again. We really, really appreciate it. And for everyone listening, stay tuned. We're going to take a quick break, wrap things up on this latest episode of Race of Roof. And we're back on this latest episode of Raise the Roof. Thanks so much again to Neil for coming on, talking to us about the Rays, talking to just talking about his story. He's fantastic. If you guys don't follow him, 
what are you doing? Follow him, listen to the podcast, listen to the podcast that he has with Pete. It's all fantastic. And again, we really appreciate him coming on. But there is a series going on this weekend. The Rays are traveling to Camden Yards to play the Baltimore Orioles. Three games set. Yeah, three games set, right? Because today's, what, what day is today? Yeah. Thursday? Yeah, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Yeah, I don't even know what dates are going on right now. This is this is great. Fantastic stuff. So That's when you know you're in the summer. Oh, that's when you, damn straight. All right. How are we feeling about this series against the Freddie Galvis list Baltimore Orioles? Good. I mean, <laughs> I, I swear to God, Ryan Yarborough always pitches against the O's. Yeah, I, he, I, he I, I will stand. Game, right? I will stand by this. He literally will never. There, there will never be a Baltimore series where Ryan Yarborough does not pitch. Didn't he pitch I've the seen, game that we both went to? Yeah, and I, oh I, I went to, and I went to a game in 2019, and Ryan Yarbrough pitched that game again at Camden Yards. Like it, it's, it's really weird how that always works out. But um, dude, Yarbs is crazy. But I have the pitching matchups right here. It's Yarbrough and Means on Friday tomorrow. On Saturday, it's McClanahan and Spencer Watkins. So that's uh-huh. a very good matchup there. Okay. Um, and then really Sunday need, really ends in when when means is pitching. So <laughs> the ends to the means. Ends justify the means. <laughs> so the ends justify the means. John means business. Oh man. And know. then in the Sunday matinee, it's Waka versus Jorge Lopez. I think I don't. Know. I have no clue who that. I don't know. Okay, who that guy is, I don't know who I'm... the last guy did it. Didn't Spencer is the yeah. Spencer's the guy who made his major league debut against the Rays, and his name is spelled with two S's, right? There is. I think it was his second appearance against well, the Rays. well whatever it was he spelled his name he, he he's the one who has spencer spelled yeah. correctly right yeah that's yeah right. he's good i mean he's he's good but again his are... parents they uh misspelled his name <laughs> he's so he's fortunate. Been not as well as good he's two and two with 3.81 so that's not bad not bad though. for the orioles that's like cy young <laughs> yeah other than means but that's a keeper right there all right, so we have the matchups. Uh, Gibby, how are you feeling like in this series? Uh, I, I just want them to, you know, at least you gotta. I, I don't want to lose a series, uh, uh, just don't lose a series. That's all I say, you know. We've been kind of, you know, we just sweep the Red Sox, so I feel like we should be able to sweep the Orioles, but then we did just get dominated by the Mariners for those first two games. I mean, those first two games were just miserable. First two games were buns. We're, we're absolute buns. And yes. I, I just don't want to see any performances like that. You know, we, we've gone to the, but we've gone to, um, we've gone to Camden and just completely shit the bed before. So hey, it could happen again. That is true. Um, you know, it's not, it's, this isn't something I'm too worried about. I just want to keep our place in the standings, really. Um, Got to keep the good vibes moving. You're only the- a game up of the Red Sox. So, you know, and you're, you're facing a bad team. You should you should beat the yeah. bad team. And that's all I got to say, really. Just Ryan Yarbrough, please don't be batting practice. You're good. I know you're good. It's not it's not the Red Sox. So, I think you'll be fine. So, But, yeah, I mean, we, we, we're clearly better than the O's. Um, hopefully... The game you and I went to, it's the same matchup, actually, Alex. Yarbrough no way. Oh, the, yeah. That's it's true. the same matchup. Oh, so and does Yarbrough, that mean that Randy's going to hit two bombs and rob a home run? Yeah, I guess <laughs> I guess it has to mean that. Because, I mean, it's a good sign because we won the game, but it's a bad sign because Yarbrough looked horrible. Um, Mancini had about nine RBIs that game, I feel yeah, like. Yeah, like, 
Yeah, yeah, we needed to. I mean, honestly, other than Cedric Mullins, who is having a fantastic year, uh, this is, you know, we say this is a podcast. This is a Shohei Otani podcast, but this is also a Trey Manson yeah, podcast. We, we, let's, let's, let's be honest here. I'm not going to lie. We love Cruz and all, but I'm still sad that we didn't get him at the deadline, even hey, though we, there were no talks for him. You know, now. honestly, and I think we might have talked about this, but Mancini feels like an offseason trade acquisition. Yeah. And then I'm really looking forward to McClanahan. McClanahan had probably one of his best starts in his it major was his career. best start it probably it would, yeah it was yeah, definitely would, his best start i would say that it's definitely definitely up there um he, he went like six innings one earned run against the Sox on sunday night baseball like under the lights biggest stage he's probably been in other than his major league debut which was in the playoffs um God, i love that man he's been doing so good yeah Ever he looked i started guessing his lines he looked really good and Credit to him on Sunday, uh, yeah, on Sunday, because that was a, this is a pretty big, pretty big game right there, and he looked really good. So hopefully he can continue that, and hopefully we can look better against that Watkins guy that we looked horrible against the last time we played them. And uh, it was Walker, yeah, Walker's got to bounce back. Horrible start against the Mariners, so I'm bounce looking for him to bounce point. back. And I just look for us to continue our success in Baltimore. We had struggled mightily the last like three years in Baltimore, and then we had a sweep earlier in Baltimore earlier this season. So hopefully we can continue that um, winning streak in Maryland. Sadly, I will not be able to go to any of these games, but um, I'll make up for it. I'll make up for it next week in Fenway. There we go. All right. Uh, keys to the series. Gibby, you start. Okay. Um, you know, Shane McClanahan, as Evan's been saying, has turned himself into a six inning, like, kind of guy you know stays in there for six innings before he was like four and then they slowly worked him up to like five and now and now he can comp i i will say i you can competently put him in there for six plus innings and maybe only get it and, they, and the other team may might only get like one run so i would say like shane's are shane's are ace now so shane's your I, key I, to the I, series i think he's the key to the series but at least um, he can't be traded anymore that's good yeah that's good and and you know, the other, I hope the other thing doesn't happen. Though. Knock on wood. I don't have any wood around me. I got you. Nice, but man. Dead, dead, dead. Be I, 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 I do these podcasts on a plastic table. So that's my, that's my key. I like it. All right, Evan. I would say limit Mancini to like one home run and three RBIs because I swear to God, he, I mean, he's always amazing, but he's unbelievable against us. I feel like, I feel like he's yeah. had like 30 RBIs in like the 10 games that we played in nine games that we've played against him so limit him glad we don't have to face galvis anymore uh that's good to know um but i i think uh i i honestly think this for the player i i think uh dude i didn't even go yet you like you always oh oh, oh give give me gave the player that's why i thought i, I player, thought yeah I thought we were doing no. players, but I mean, sorry, I, I, I mean, know. no, 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 no. We, I mean, Gibby. I'm guessing Shane is your player for this series. Yeah, I, I, I just picked him as my key. I guess he's my player. Okay, okay, that's fine. Okay, well then we can just combine know, the two man. together. All right, sorry, go. Sorry, um, my bad. My player is Kiermaier. I think I, this is a first time, or I think he's. Oh, I don't know. This is a big this welcome, kind of a, welcome, Kevin. Kiermaier getting love on this podcast. I know. Is like, impossible. I think I could see him hitting home run this um this series, kind of. It's like the fall of the Berlin Wall, uh, but like for this podcast, because we don't mention Kevin. I would say somewhat of a short right field post. Like it's not like that short. It's not like Yankee Stadium, but it's shorter than usual. So kind of hitter friendly for Kevin and lefties. So I don't know. I just have a weird feeling about it. Mine is uh surprisingly, 
my key is also to limit Trey Mancini. Yeah. What a shocker. I don't need to go into depth about that. He's, he's really good against the race. Uh, my player. He's just good uh, in general, though. Like, he, yeah, he is. He is very good in general. Uh, my player. Well, first, it's Bilal. Dude, you got to get those. De- you got to get those. Yeah. Coming home to the DMV. You got to get those defensive mistakes, uh, you know, taken care of. Work on it. Um, you looked really, really good at the plate. But those defensive mistakes definitely cost the Rays uh, in that Tuesday game, if I'm not mistaken. I think he had like two or three errors in the series. Just needs to get that mental, you know, that, you know, stable mental frame of mind right now on the defensive side. Uh, and then my other guy, because I always pick Bilal, is who is my other guy? I'm trying to think. I'm going to go with Nelly just because he's been struggling since the Rays acquired him. Yeah. I know he yeah. had. A, I, I hate his faces he makes when he doesn't win and when like we put him in a tough situation and then he doesn't get he doesn't quite it doesn't quite work out and then he looks so disappointed he's like why am i here it's like don't don't beat yourself up so much man we're glad you're here man if i'm not mistaken he did have a multi-hit game in the seattle series yeah so yeah so good things coming ahead for him but yeah i i need him to step things up um have a good series it doesn't work out nelly you're okay you're still right man hey Hey, the okay. O's is a good series for him to bounce back because Camden Yards is ahead of the ballpark. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. I don't even think he's doing that bad. He just I'm just saying he looks upset every time he like doesn't he doesn't produce. He needs like, to be so reaffirmed upset. that everything's going to be okay. Everything's gonna be okay, Nelly. All right. Well, since we've now talked about that, let's get into I mean, I don't really know if there's any crazy notable news in and around the world of baseball, because obviously the trade deadline happened, all that stuff. The Astros and Dodgers played. They split the that two-game series. Trash cans were thrown all over the place. Uh, Scherzer looked really good in his first start. I mean, props to the Astros in that series, honestly. Like, that, it's a really tough series to go into. I mean, first series <laughs> for Trey Turner. Tough. I mean, first series for Trey Turner and Scherzer, um, obviously in what Dodger Stadium, which empire, by the way. is not a tough – is not a – easy place to play in so i mean props for them to what was it 2-2 i think so yeah i mean i mean they split the series against them i mean um, they're in la i feel like the astros are extremely underrated i don't think that anybody talks i think a lot of people talk about the nl west and those are really good the red sox and pretty much the al east it's pretty much two divisions and the al west is not a bad division at all like they also have four teams that are almost I think 500. I think the Angels are like two games under, but yeah, but like the Angels. I mean, I mean, we all know that the Angels are going to do anything. I mean, I know, I know, but they're, they're just a sneaky good division. Like, oh yeah, the Astros are great, the A's are great, the Mariners are re- pretty good. Like, and then the Angels are around 500. Like, that's very similar <laughs> to the playoff run incoming. Angels playoff run incoming. Just because Alex said it wouldn't happen, it's going to happen. <laughs> but it, I mean, it's very similar to the AL, AL East. It's just a little bit, a little bit worse. Yeah, that's no, that's a good point. But how how many games back are the Angels right now? Like enough, probably like ten. I mean, yeah. no, they're like around yeah, they're not gonna eleven. Make... No, yeah, no. I, I mean from from the wild card, I think they're only no from the wild card. They're probably like eight. oh the second wild card. They're probably like seven seven. Yeah, it's not. I mean. I don't know. I don't think they're going to do it. But yeah, I no. I don't. It, yeah. If, if Mike Trout gets back and Rendon, I don't know. Oh, Rendon's not coming back. Rendon's out for the year oh, now. He had, that, right. he had that surgery, the scenes that's he had right. surgery, which was not good. Um, so best wishes for his the, recovery. Uh, the Tigers are up 7-0 to zero on the Red Sox in the seventh inning, by the way. So that's wow. good. So that's that's very good to hear. That Go Tigers. Be, Go Tigers. We should be a game and a half up by the end of the day. Hopefully, Hopefully. we can hold on. There was a cat that ran on the field during the Yankees O's game. That was the only interesting thing that happened in that and game. You know what? And guess what? 
And uh, guess what happened? My theory happened. What? The home team loses. Every time a cat is on the field, the home <laughs> team will lose. It happens yeah, I, in every sport. It happens transcendently through sports and and, and just like it was all. It's great. It happens in baseball and football, and every time it's happened, the, the home team has lost. Or like the, in the last three years when all these kitten catastrophes have been happening, you know? I'm, I'm not going to lie. I have no idea what the security guy's, like, goal is when they run out there. You could have, like, 100 people, 100 security guards, and they're not going to catch that cat. Yeah, that yeah. cat is freaking... Like, catching guy. a cat in a room, like, like a normal bedroom is tough enough, let alone in a whole baseball stadium. Like, this it's so... True. Yeah, just, just open the door for him. Yeah, that I mean that's what they did. They eventually yeah. just like opened the side door or whatever it's called. And yeah, let but him out, it was but... it was a bad omen for the Yankees, so thank God it happened to them. Was it a black cat? Because it was, that like, a, it was like a it was like a gray cat. Oh. I don't know. So it wasn't like the black No, but every time just cats cats are just bad omen. Cats are strange. Like it happened to USF one time when I when I was when I was in a game there and that that was funny because it was right after it happened to the Giants happened like on the giants field and they lost too and then and then we lost and then i came up with the theory about when a cat comes on the field your team will lose bad the home team will lose bad vibes oh, it's a bad vibe that's interesting also look it up look it up also i think right. the i think I, I would say the most important baseball related news is that team usa for the only the second time ever has reached the gold medal game in the olympics that is right they beat south korea in the in, in the semifinals, they will be facing Team Japan in the gold medal game. Obviously, shouts out to the former Rays on the team, uh, Edwin Jackson, uh, Joe Ryan, current Ray, Shane Boz, who pitched against Team Japan. Obviously, Ryan Kazmier pitched twice. Too. And Scott Kazmier, who's throwing 85, but still blowing away hitters. How old is he? <laughs> he's, he's, he's old. He, let's see. He is. But, yeah. He's 37. That's actually not as old as that. I thought he would be like 42 or something. But yeah, but I mean, their team USA has found a way into the gold medal game, and also that has secured a medal. So, like, they are going to medal either silver or gold, which means that um, uh, our friend Eddie Alvarez, uh, I mean, he's not really our friend, but um, uh, the guy who I talked about earlier uh, a couple podcasts ago, the one of the flag bearers for the US, uh, used to former former Winter Olympic speed skater. Uh, silver medalist speed skater and uh, current minor leaguer in the Miami Marlins organization played during the 2020 season. He is now guaranteed to get a medal and is the first um, Olympian since 1936 to get both a Winter Olympic and Summer Olympic medal. That's crazy. Uh, so, did, what, did you say what sport in the winter It was some uh, speed skater. Wow, that's pretty cool. Some some dude from, from Norway won like skiing and something else in 1936. But yeah. That's nuts. Yeah, so literally the first time in 80 years, 75 years that it's happened. How about how about the Japan team though? They're playing really They're good. Well. They're they are, really good. Have they come out with the pitching matchups for the gold medal? I don't know, but Tanaka's probably going to pitch. I mean, I mean Shane Boss could pitch, I think. Considering that Tanaka's arm is our, I mean, like, I'm pretty sure he said that he was pitching with like a torn ligaments in his arm his entire MLB career. I think he's just at the point now where like he doesn't really care. So he's just going to pitch whatever he needs to. <laughs> so he'll definitely be starting the gold medal game for Japan. But man, just seeing them in the gold medal game is awesome. So the game I, I just, is. I just like whenever these two teams play in baseball. It's just, or these two nations play. It's like, it's like US, Mexico and men's soccer. 
Yeah. I mean, kind of has that vibe of, I mean, it's not as passionate of a vibe. I, I would say more like USA Dominican Republic has more of that passionate of a vibe. But in terms of like stature, USA Japan is definitely, definitely at that level. I love it. I love yeah. It. So the, the gold medal game is on Saturday. 6 a.m. Eastern. And yep. And Tanaka no is expected to start. Of course. For Japan. Who, who's starting for the U.S.? They have not. I, they have not come out with it, but I mean, Boz is available. He pitched on Sunday, right? He pitched. He Boz pitched in the first game so against Japan. It could be put Boz in there. Boz. That would be incredible. Round two, <laughs> Shade Boz. Uh, that would be great. That would be the ultimate Rays Yankees matchup, which I already said the first time, but literally that would be the ultimate Rays Yankees matchup. Gold medal game oh, for the Olympics. Medal. That's awesome. Well. Um, you guys should be tuning into that game, 100%. No excuses. Get up at 6 a.m. Go watch Team USA. Hopefully, win the gold medal against Japan. We're gonna obviously gonna get this out before then, but hopefully they'll they'll bring things home and win the gold medal. Other than that, I don't really think that there's anything else in the world of baseball. I'm probably missing something, but there's literally nothing else going on in the world of baseball. Yeah, I don't I don't really think that there's anything that's significant going on. So with that being said. We're going to wrap things up here on this latest episode of Razor Roof. Thanks so much, everyone, for listening. Thanks again to Neil for coming on. He was fantastic. Thank make you, sure, Neil. Make sure that you guys follow him on social media, obviously. The man's got a voice of gold. He is, it's a very, very... Very uh, nice voice. Yes, very soothing voice to listen to on the Raise Radio uh, broadcasts. But yeah, thanks again to Neil. Uh, make sure to listen to their pod, listen to the uh, This Week in Rays Baseball podcast and Horsing Around. Um, both fantastic uh, podcasts to listen to. Uh, make sure to subscribe there and obviously make sure to follow Neil on social media on Twitter. As for us, social media platforms, Raise the Roof TV, our website, RaiseTheRoofTV.com, our Twitch channel, Raise the Roof Twitch, our YouTube channel, Raise the Roof. If you guys want to sponsor us, have any comments, questions, concerns about anything going on here on the podcast or anything at Raise the Roof, RaiseTheRoofTV at Juma.com is the place that you guys can email us. We are going to get that affiliate link for the Smack Apparel shirts. We're going to get that soon, so stay tuned for that. We're also having a giveaway for two Boat Parader bus shirts so once we get to 1,500 Twitter followers, we are going to have that giveaway because it's going to be a combination of 1,000 and 1,500 together. So make sure you guys stay tuned for that in the future. And this podcast, Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google Podcast, make sure to subscribe, share this with your friends, and leave us a review. With all that being said, thanks so much for listening. And as always, raise up. Raise up, baby. Raise up.